give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 58 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I'm joined by Bob Simonson, guitarist of the New York-based band Takashi. Takashi was formed in 1982 and quickly got a cult following in the New York area. They got press from the likes of Hip Raider and Kerrang! Magazine. They had opening slots for national bands, legends like Twisted Sister, Anthrax, and in 1984, a band called Metallica. Bob emailed me just to share his story and to share some cool pictures. And fortunately for all of us, he agreed to come on the podcast and tell the story because it is fantastic. All of you in the Metallica Expedition are really going to enjoy this one. This is a shorter episode than others, only about a half hour, 40 minutes or so. But it is chock full with Metallica goodness. You're going to love it. At the end of this episode, you're also going to hear an old song from Takashi. So more on that later. When Takashi opened up for Metallica, again, it was in 1984. This was before the release of Ride the Lightning. And you're going to hear Bob talk about stolen equipment, which of course is a reference to the famous story of when their equipment got stolen in Boston, Massachusetts, which led to the writing of Fade to Black. You're going to hear what their personalities were like from his perspective back in the day. I'm talking about firsthand stories about James Hatfield, Lars Ulrich, Kirk Hammett, and Cliff Burton. But most importantly, you're going to hear the play-by-play of how that show went down. So here's my conversation with Bob Simonson of Takashi about opening up for Metallica in 1984. My guest today is the guitarist of New York-based band Takashi. The band was formed in 1982, and in 1984... They found themselves opening up for Metallica. Please welcome to Metallicast, Bob Simonson. Bob, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I can see you did a little research on the group. So that that was all accurate. Yes, those were accurate statements, sir. Nice to be here, Brandon. Wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this. You emailed me out of the blue, and we started a little conversation, and you had some awesome pictures, and I was like, this sounds like a fascinating story that... Uh, All the Metallica fans listening will surely love to hear. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to jumping in and talking about that with you. Uh, But first, I would love to hear a little bit about yourself, your background, um, in terms of sort of when you got into music and started playing guitar and uh, how all of that led to the formation of your band, Takashi. Well, it was the early 1980s. The clear beverage craze was sweeping America. On television, Eddie Murphy was teaching America how to laugh. So, you know, there's the frame. And, you know, we were kids swept up in the um, metal mania that was bubbling up 
it still hadn't exploded yet, really. We were a little ahead of the curve. And um, I met a mutual ally named Craig Kay, um, who loved KISS as much as I loved KISS. The word KISS will probably come up a few times. And uh, he's like, we should start a band. We were both roadies for another band called Quasimodo. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. you know. And off we went, off to the races, just went. And fortunately for us at the time, in the early 80s on Long Island, there were really only two kinds of bands. You had the skinny tie, new wave bands, like, you know, like the Knack. And the leftovers from the 70s who were still playing Freebird and, you know, what have you. So for us to come out playing, you know, early Priest, early Maiden, early Def Leppard was really something at the time. It was, we were just sort of an outlier. And fortunately, we got picked up by Mongol Horde Records, which turned out to be a pretty famous label. Uh, they were like the first independent metal label, definitely in New York. They had Virgin Steel. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Sure. They had um, Alien. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but I thought Alien were going to be the biggest of us all. Huge, huge. And they even signed um, a distribution deal with Thor um, from Canada. And he came down and we did a, a whole Metal Massacre show, actually in the same theater where we played with Metallica. So we were, in our terms, on Long Island, this is before they called it Strong Island. <laughs> we were, um, you know, real up-and-comers. Our songs were on the college radio, and we were moving records and playing shows every single weekend. And that's where the Metallica story kind of starts in. Our manager calls us up and says, all right, you're playing with Metallica in January. And I was, my drummer, wow. Huge fan, huge Metallica fan. He's like, this is the coolest gig ever. And I was like, to me, frankly, it was another show. I don't want to minimize it. It was a big show. You know, we're playing with sure. Metallica. It's a big deal. But I didn't really give it that much thought at the time. And it was in a theater. Um, I guess it's about 1,000, 1,500. They're actual seats. It wasn't a uh, floor. And they were like, oh, we had played there before. We were very friendly with the management of the theater. So we were very much the home team. Right. So to speak. And Metallica were very much the visiting team coming in. And so we're like, okay, this is going to be great. Great show. No problem. So we show up at the show. And, oh, Takashi is a band based on the Kiss, a lot of Kiss DNA. Big show. Big show. Big show you know, brain dead, hard rock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's not sugarcoat this. <laughs> you know, there, there was no creative genius doing, you know, Pink Floyd type stuff here. It was, somebody once said, they go, it's like you guys write your songs, so you have time to point out the crap. <laughs> the chord changes, we're like, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, so the band it has a lot of DNA of Kiss right. and some Priest and some Twisted Sister. So that's the kind of band it is. Very flashy, very big show, explosions, the whole the whole thing. Yeah. So we show up that day at a theater. Again, we're very familiar with here. 
And, you know, we have to set up second because we're the special guest and we should be. And we get there, Metallica, they're milling about and they barely have amps. I mean, they barely have equipment. <laughs> you're looking at this and this, again, this is my first interaction with this group in any way, shape or form. Right. And I bumped into Scott Ian backstage. Oh, wow. Now I know Scott Ian, not, I'm, I don't, we're not best friends, but I certainly know who he is because two years earlier, we played a show with Anthrax in a different theater called the North Stage Theater. And time, we were just, both of us, we were just kids, you know, right. I don't know, yeah. trying to learn how to do this. Scott Ian's little brother was the vocalist. This is before Neil Turbin. So this oh, is how wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Scott's there and I'm like, hey, man, what's up? What are you doing? And he goes... Metallica's gear got completely stolen and they had like no gear, yeah. but they did, but they showed up to do the show and they were using Anthrax's borrowed gear. And at the time Metallica were like living in a rehearsal studio, like in Queens, like living there, you know, with like a hot plate <laughs> and sleeping bags, like, like vagrants, like metal <laughs> vagrants. <laughs> And, you know, let's let's be honest. We're just five kids who just rolled in from our homes on Long Island in right. our cars. Yeah. Right. So there's a dichotomy. And there's a dichotomy that's starting to become a little palpable. But nevertheless, so we see Scott. I'm like, all right, Scott, cool, no problem. You know, nice seeing you. And off we go. They set up their stuff. And then we bring in our stuff. And... Like I said, the band is based on the KISS ethos, more, more, more. And we had, earlier on our, in our career, we had developed a, a relationship with Marshall Amps. Marshall Amps. We were like, a, we were like sponsor, um, they were like endorsing us because we did an, a print ad for them two years nice. earlier. Yeah. But we had, I was take my student loan money and buy Marshalls. <laughs> So we have like wall of marshals, like early kiss, you know? Right. And on top of the wall of marshals were like the red spinning fire lights. <laughs> a drum riser. I don't even know where this drum riser ever came from. It was amazing. It smoke shot out of the bottom with red fire lights and fire <laughs> literally shot out of the top. So this is what we do. We blow shit up and Yeah. You know. A, 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 a really big rock show. Yes, yes, a really big rock show. Now, the people in Metallica don't seem very thrilled with this concept. <laughs> that that the, the opening act or special guest, however you want to phrase it, is, holy crap, look what the hell they just walked in here with. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking much about it, honestly. Um, so the first thing I hear is, Lars doesn't even have sticks. He doesn't even have drumsticks. So he's like, goes up to my drummer, who's a huge fan. He's, huge, he's the biggest Metallica fan in the band. He's like, oh, dude, do you have any sticks I can borrow? And he's like, sure, Lars, whatever you need, buddy. You know? And I'm like, damn, these guys really are hand to mouth yeah. making this happen. I, I almost felt a little bad for them. And um, I ran into... Kirk Hammett, he was the nicest one by far. I talked with him a little in the background. He just seemed like, you know, a really mellow dude. Mm -hmm. um, 
And um, I enjoyed talking with him. He seemed like a pretty cool cat. So later on, uh, the next thing I hear is, I was just, they had two dressing rooms, small and smaller. <laughs> and we're accustomed <laughs> to having small because we're the house band, but now we're yeah. in small. All right, okay, you know, no problem, no problem. And um, I hear, we got big problems with the pyro guys. Metallica won't let us blow off our pyro because we had the pyro in the beginning. Right. Pyro at the end. And flames shooting out of the drums during the middle. <laughs> As one and, does. <laughs> right. Well, this is pre-Great White. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. do this now? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. But the, we used to do it all the time. Sure. Our drummer... Follow this part because this is called foreshadowing, people. This is foreshadowing. <laughs> Our drummer is packing the pyro pads. He was really into the pyro element of it and later in life became a professional pyrotechnician. Oh, wow. That will come up later. <laughs> but when he's playing the drums, he can't blow off the pyro. So it's a 16-year-old kid from down the block with a can of Schlitz in his hand. <laughs> but he knows our songs. So he right. knows when to press the homemade pyro button. <laughs> so they're like, Metallica says, you have to give them one pyro blast or, or it's going to be problems. Okay, I'm a little at this point, all right, you know, damn, I, I wasn't thrilled with it. But, you know, you got to get the show going. Sure. And they're the headliners. And, you know, as much as they're not my favorite group in the world at the time, I'm going to respect this and say, all right, you know what? We'll minus one from our show, hand it over to that. So crisis averted, you would think. <laughs> so we agree that we're going to give them one pyro. And, but they, they seem sketchy on the details, you know, when's this pyro going to go off? And, Blah, blah, blah. And Cliff Burton, this is the funny part. He was the most reluctant of all. He was kind of like, I don't know if we even need pyro, you know? I mean, <laughs> he, didn't, he wasn't thrilled with the idea of it, honestly. But that's averted. Across the street from the theater, there's a famous record store called Slip Disc Records on Long Island. It was like the metal store. There was a couple, but this was the one. And management goes to us. They said, all right, um... Go across the street and sign autographs with Metallica. We're doing an autograph signing with Metallica. I mean, the blanking audacity. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. But they're like, well, Metallica will be at that table. You sit at this table and people are going to sign. But we used to do this crap all the time. Yeah. We had big posters and we would sign. And they were promoting at the time a record. It was like an EP or something. And it had like a, it was orangey and brown had a demon on the cover. If, if you, I think it was called Jump in the Fire. It was an EP. Yeah, they had a single out. Yeah, okay. That was their, that was their record at the time. Yeah. And we were promoting some single we, ha single we had on a compilation album. Because at that point, our album came out in 83. And we were just throwing songs on every compilation album we could find. Right. Which was, as you know, the style at the time. Right. So we're sitting there and we're signing autographs. And there's a lot of kids there. And it was, you know... No one at the time, I never thought at the time, Jesus Christ, so I'm signing autographs with Metallica. Sure. You know, this guy's going to be the biggest American heavy metal star in a few years. I, this isn't even crossing my mind. Yeah. And they're signing autographs for kids. And I was remembering the, the, <laughs> James Hetfield, you know how you write like 
hey, Paul, hey, Brandon, rock on, James. You know how you write that, right? Right, yeah. He's scrawling, drink vodka. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still like 20-something, and I'm going, you know, that's got to be irresponsible. (laughs) You know, drink vodka, drink vodka. And I'm thinking now, as a grown adult, he's probably wondering which fork is for the salad, you know. But, but at the time, this is, we were kids. We were uh, 20. Sure, yeah. Okay. That went pretty well. And we all, it's literally across the street. So we go back across the street, and it's sound check time. Like I said, we're very accustomed to being the home team here. The very... You know, we're very at home in this theater. We know every inch of the theater. Right. Which will come back later. <laughs> More foreshadowing. <laughs> now, remember, we know that Metallica is not thrilled with our show. Sure. And we don't even bother to tell them that we brought a special ending just for this show. <laughs> I, but that'll come back. So we're, I'm accustomed to doing a decent sound check, honestly, because I, I feel like I've been here a million times. I know the owners and the girl who sells the tickets and everything, you know? Right. And they're just taking a sound check forever and forever and forever. And remember, um, and Hetfield had that white flying V. Remember the old white flying oh, yeah. V from the, with yeah. all the chips and shit on mm-hmm. it? And I think Kirk had a black flying V. Listen to the blanking audacity. I just walk out, stand next to Hetfield <laughs> like this. <laughs> Who the hell? I never in a million years thought this guy is going to be the biggest American heavy metal star there ever. Sure, yeah. I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking this is a band that's a rung above us, and we'll soon pass these guys because we'll blow off more shit or something, (laughs) more explosions. Yeah, I don't know what we were thinking. Nevertheless, they finally. They finally acquiesce, and off they go, and we do our sound check. And then everything's kind of calm, and we're getting ready to do the show. And we had a big show, like I said. We come out, boom. There's a lot of people there. Um, we just do our usual thing. You know, this, to me, it's another show. Like, it's nothing. Sure. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, do the set list. And I'm hearing later that Hetfield's out in the lobby basically ripping us, going, look at these posers with their stripy pants. They should go to L.A. because they're not keeping it real. Right? Okay. Right. I guess it's a a badge of honor, I guess. So... We blow off our stuff. The fire goes off. It was a good crowd, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people there. At the end of the show, at the end of the show, we neglected to mention to their management, somehow it slipped through the cracks, that we were going to have a giant-ass confetti storm at the end, just like Kiss. Right. Just like Kiss. Because that's who we had a lot of Kiss DNA. Sure. So we have roadies up in the catwalks giant giant boxes of confetti they're dropping it down it's everywhere way too much way 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 too much 
thank you, New York. Good night. And we walk off the stage. And um, Metallica's road manager is basically freaking out now. He's like, what the blank? We didn't know kids. Who's going to clean up all this shit? I left a leaf blower. Would have been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have that. And my brother was our roadie. He, and my brother goes, I don't know, dude. We're done. See ya. Just, <laughs> what the hell were we thinking? The audacity of us, right? These nothing kids. Basically don't, not caring. We, we, we didn't right. care. Yeah. So show's over and I'm backstage in the smaller room. And now it's time for Metallica to play. And I assume they opened with Hit the Lights, I guess. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's my favorite song by Metallica, by the way. It's by far my favorite song. So they're going to have their big pyro moment because they've gotten one of our pyros. But we're, again, the pyro is, you know, being run by a 16 year old kid who's now had six or seven cores lights. <laughs> I'm not even joking. He's a kid from down the block from where I live. He was yeah. fine with us. He doesn't know Metallica's music. You know, he knows our songs. He knows on beat four, boom, you know, at right. the end of it, boom. He doesn't know Metallica's music. So they just have him the, the rather vague instructions of when Metallica starts up, just blow off some pyro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, almost kills Cliff Burton early. Because uh, they're just like playing a song, and just like you know how it goes off on the one of the beat, you know, yeah. it just goes off on like the three and. <laughs> and Cliff is doing his head spinning, you know, thing he used to do, and he almost blew up poor Cliff Burton. Poor. And somebody comes backstage and goes, "Oh shit, man, Memphis almost killed Cliff Burton." And I'm like, what the "Hell, how can this even be true? How the hell can this even be true?" Oh my god. So, so, so that was quite an in enjoyable evening. And, you know, those guys did their thing. You can't front on what they do, you know. Mm -hmm. it, you like it, you don't like it. You can't ne negate the, the, the sheer metal coming off that, you know. Right. So they did their thing. And um, it, was, it was cool. And then everything was, was, was kind of calm for a while. But I had always walked away from it with sort of a... Uh, you know, sort of, a, I was always a little dismissive, you know, because it wasn't a good experience for me. I We've opened up for bands where they honestly can't be any more supportive, you know? Yeah. We played Twisted Sister and, you know, JJ would be like, oh, check out, I just got the new JJ French model guitar. You got to play this thing, you know? <laughs> and he'd really be like, you got to play my guitar. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, they would be super supportive and take as much time as you want, full lights, whatever you want to do. We you know so it wasn't the greatest gig, and for years and years and years afterwards, I was always sort of dismissive towards Metallica. I'm not saying they're not good or anything, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. You know, I was more sure. of a priest kind of guy. Yeah. So here's the here's the twist. Here's where the foreshadowing comes back. <laughs> years later, years, years, years later, uh, this record label wants to reissue our original records on CD. And I'm going, I don't know who the hell buys CDs, but it was a straight up licensing deal called Heaven and Hell Records. And by the way, um, they're run by a guy named Jeremy, who's a great guy and puts together a great package. 
So I'm like, okay, this sounds fine, Jeremy. And I'm talking to him on the phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's giving me a lot of, you know, giving me the business about loving Kiss too much and blah, blah, blah. So we're doing the liner notes and we start talking about the infamous Metallica gig. Because Takashi played a lot of shows, and but that one really stuck out. Sure. People remember that one for obvious reasons. Yeah. And um, then, oh, then they had put the poster in their book for Kill 'Em All box set, which was kind of cool. We were like, that right. was pretty neat. Yeah. So we're getting quotes from people, and we got a quote from Johnny Z, their uh, record label guy, to put in the liner notes and everything. And everything was very smooth, and like, no, everything's fine. And I was just kind of like, going to tell some stories about Cliff almost getting blown up by the pyro. And my drummer calls me up. He goes, dude, don't you get it? Metallica are like the coolest guys in the world. And I go, what are you talking about? Years later, he's a professional pyrotechnician. Mm-hmm. That's what he does for a living in Vegas. Right. Where there's a lot of shows. Sure. And he's working for those those great rock legends, Limp Biscuit. He's working for them. <laughs> I know. I know. But they're on a festival show with Metallica. And so it's early in the show. It's in a big stadium. And he sees Hetfield playing football with his kids. Yeah. So he walks over there and the, the security's like, get back. You can't hang out with James Hetfield. Right, yeah. And Hetfield goes, no, no, no. Come on in, come on in. So he, he goes up to Hetfield and he goes, I don't know if you'll ever remember me, but we played together in 83 or 84 rather. And uh, we played in New York in, in Takai. And, and Hetfield actually remembered the show. Oh, wow. And Hetfield essentially said, you know, this, this is the best part, this twist ending. He goes, <laughs> you know, I'm really sorry. We were really, frankly, his words, not mine. We were really dicks to a lot of people back then. And, and you know, I'm really sorry about the way we acted. Oh, so wow. He goes, Don't you get it? The Metallica feud is over. <laughs> I'm like, Hooray. You know, I can like them now. So, um, he actually remembered the show and he put the poster in his record. Yeah. And so everything got smooth again. At that point, in like 2016, I actually started to listen to some of their music. And I've heard half of Saint Anger, half of it. <laughs> I've heard half of Death Magnetic. Okay. And I heard the whole first album. And I like the first album the best out of those three. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Very interesting. That's it. That's all I have for you, sir. <laughs> that is an amazing story. Um, I know everybody listening will really <laughs> appreciate I hope that. So I hope you enjoyed it, Metallica fans. So I, it was funny some of the things you said because you know when I was looking into Takashi more after our email correspondence, like this is a very opposite band as uh, Metallica. So I was actually curious about h- how that worked the evening of kind of you know as a fan knowing how they were in those early days and apparently they did not make it easy (laughs) i don't want to overstate it yeah i would say that there was some professional tension in the room you know what i mean yeah they weren't disrespectful or unprofessional but there was just that tension there i think a lot was because they really didn't have anything. They were borrowed amps. They didn't have sticks, yeah. you know, and, you know, they were headliners at the time. They might have just been having a bad day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm glad to announce that all is forgiven. And 
now everything's fine again. I'm a positive guy. I don't want to live with these negative vibes. That's not my style. Well, that is a great story. And it shows how everything in a weird way comes full circle in life. That's exactly right. It's the circle of life. It's like the Lion King. (laughs) Exactly. That movie can teach you a lot if you really watch it. (laughs) Are you guys active? Are you guys... You playing out at all? Well, I mean, nobody's playing out right now. Yeah, we're gonna definitely do something. Um, we're gonna. I, I I can say this. I just had a meeting with the singer this afternoon, and we were discussing. Listen, I'm accustomed. I'm an old school guy. I'm accustomed to walking into a recording studio with a band or a rehearsal studio and working out the songs. This whole work out the songs by Zoom and flying the stems around. Yeah. I'm doing it sort of begrudgingly. Yeah. You know what I mean? But um, we're going to um, try to, two of the guys live in Vegas, Craig and Chuck Corey, two parts that we absolutely need. And um, we're going to try and put together some new record, uh, some new stuff together. Um, there's actually labels interested in it. Awesome. So that's a blessing. And probably do some shows if there's shows like festivals in Europe and stuff. Right. Yeah. We're looking at getting over there. Awesome. And we'll be on the B stage at five in the afternoon. You know. Yeah. You know how that. Goes. Sure. But that's okay. But if there's festivals, we're gonna probably be playing them. Phenomenal. Probably, yeah, there's a, there's oddly enough that that group which I had, you know, maybe two years later just ceremoniously walked out. I was like, later. You know, I yeah. I like different kinds of music. I like all kinds of music. But um, it it retains interest with people, and people are still interested in it. And I mean, the fact that anybody would re-release it in 2016 was to me pretty surprising. But they were like, "No, we absolutely want to do this." And I said, "Well, we absolutely can do this." So yeah, the band should be good. If this COVID nonsense would go away, um, sure. it would be easier. It would be a lot easier. Yeah. But you know, we, we got to work through things in life. You know, you got to do the best with what comes your way. That's that's a life lesson for all of us. Definitely. And, you know, the fact that it's all these years later and you guys are still in contact and you guys are still interested in making music together, I think is a beautiful thing. I agree with you 100%, Brandon. Thank you. Where can everybody find you online if you want to be found or find the music of Takashi or support um, the band? Is is there a place we can lead yeah. everybody? Basically, the best spot for Takashi information now is um, Mongo Horde Records on Facebook. It's M-O-N-G-O-L-L-H-O-R-D-E on Facebook. And that's basically Takashi Central nowadays. Um, and we're just blessed. I mean, every day or not every day, obviously, but all the time people are just making new YouTube videos with our music in different ways. And I always send them a quick, wow, dude, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Awesome. You know, it'll be like a spinning vinyl record. And I love vinyl records more than anything. Yeah. So I'm just like, wow, I just absolutely love that. So, yeah, Mongo Horde with two L's on Facebook is basically Takashi Central for right now. Um, and that's where everything comes out of. And um, we'll be able to take this podcast and throw it over there and spread it out and boost the signal for you guys a little too as well. Awesome. That'd be much appreciated. And would you mind us putting on a putting a song into the episode as well? No, I think it'd be the most awesome thing ever. All right. Do you have any uh, a preference for what song is uh, showcased? The, the general consensus 
of Takashi fans is the best song is called Mad Max. It's on the first record, Mad Max, and it always gets the most hits on YouTube or wherever, you know, the streaming numbers. <laughs> Don't even get me started on the streaming numbers. <laughs> oh my God. We had an accountant. It's like, these guys, you got you got owed for like 30,000 streams. And my brother's like, enjoy your ramen noodles, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's- Damn, that streaming. Oh, my God. Uh, well, if the music yeah. industry was hard in 83, it's even harder now with, you know, there's so many more opportunities in a way because, you know, you can it's almost easier to get your music out there. But because of that, everybody's getting their music out there and it's, it becomes a bit flooded. And and, and it's just you don't you, you can't make the same money off uh, streaming as you can album sales. So now it's more you know, licensing and touring and royalties. And now all that stuff right now is even harder because of COVID of course. And as well as, uh, you know, other factors. So it's, it's definitely a challenge out there. You are a hundred percent correct with what you said, Brandon. Um, you nailed it. Yes. So it's, it's easier because anybody can sit in their pajamas and make frankly shitty house music and put it on the internet, but that's why there's so much shitty house music on the internet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But yet, it's easier, but I don't know. I, I, I like the old way. You know, you busted your ass in the clubs, and then you hopefully got an indie deal, and then you hopefully parlayed that into another deal, but it was like a path you could, you know, see. Here's the sure. path. Yeah. And now it's just so sketchy and... You know, it is what it is, though. You know, how are we gonna, are we going to shake our fist at the cloud and say stop raining? You know, that's <laughs> right. not going yeah. to. You're going to have to make adjustments yeah. in life in any in any situation. So this is just just another one. So it's it's a challenge, but you know that's what life's about. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for agreeing to do this. This was uh, a great story. I think that a lot of uh, listeners will really really appreciate this. Uh, it's been a real thrill. An honor to be visiting with you, Brandon, and all the Metallica fans around the world. Um, Stay safe, everyone, and take care of yourself and love one another because that's super important. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Have a great day. You too, Bob. I want to thank Bob Simonson from Takashi for coming on Metallicast. I loved that episode. Such a great story. Bob is such a great storyteller. Please click on the link in the episode description to check out the Facebook page to the record label. Get all of your Takashi information. It sounds like there is some Takashi news in the coming months or years with some new material, hopefully in the works soon from those guys. And maybe, maybe some shows if this COVID thing ever goes away. So please check them out. Please check out Metallicast on social media as well at MetallicastBot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you are new to the podcast, please give me a subscription, download the episodes, and leave a positive five-star review in Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way into helping the podcast continue to grow and get great guests like Bob on the podcast. I said at the start, and you heard at the end, Bob mentioned the track Mad Max off their first album. So I'm going to play that song right now, and we're going to 
end it with some classic Takashi all the way from the early 1980s, baby. Until next time, middle be
Fans not experts.